How we doing, church? Are we good? Are we good? Are we loving that extra hour of sleep we all got last night? You know, I was thinking this morning, I woke up, I felt so great. I was like, I think we should do this every week. Did anybody else feel like that? I know it throws some things off about March or April, and we'd probably be having the middle of our day, you know, at night, but I think it'd still be fun. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know what I'm saying? The only thing is, my kids, nobody told my kids that daily savings time, that they could sleep in an extra hour. Any parents know what I'm talking about? They're like, they're still up. So anyways, um, so glad that you're here today. I want to take a minute. I want to welcome everybody who is watching online right now, and of course, everybody who's over at that South Side, South Campus, South Campus, we see you and we love you. We love you there. We love you here. We love you everywhere. And the best way we can show you is by clapping. So come on, everybody. Will you welcome everybody who's watching with us today? Yeah. All right. I am uh, so pumped just to uh, share with you a little bit from the book of Nehemiah. And uh, if, if you're new today, we've been in this series. We've been looking at this guy who gets a dream job, a dream opportunity, and he's got, he's got an awesome life, all right? He's, he's a, he's a cupbearer to the king, so he's a royal taste tester. So he's having all the best food. He lives in the best locations. He lives right next to the king. And so he's got this great, great opportunity, but he sees some people who are struggling. He sees God's will not being advanced. He sees something that is broken, and he's like, some Someone should do something about that. He's like, God, someone should do something about that. And God's like, yep, it's you. <laughs> and isn't that how God works sometimes? That's what God says to Nehemiah. So Nehemiah starts going to work, and he's rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Now, here's why this matters, if you're new, if you haven't been uh, with us over the last couple of weeks. This matters because the walls of Jerusalem are more than just city walls. It's actually the will of God. God cares about this. God wants to do this because God is ultimately going to bring the Messiah through Jerusalem. He's going to raise Jerusalem and Israel up as an example to the world. And he wants everybody to see it. He wants everybody to find hope and freedom and life and grace. And Jerusalem is going to be part of it. So as Nehemiah rebuilds these walls, he's actually pushing the kingdom of God forward. And he's pushing back the kingdom of darkness. Everybody say, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. All right, so that's what we're doing. All right, so we've been talking about how he went to go do this. He prays. He plans. They recruits a team. And then he's got some opposition. Last week we talked about he ran into some opposition. There's some, some haters out there that were coming against him. We talked about spiritual warfare and all of that. Today we're going to be talking about Nehemiah and how he interacts and encounters some family drama. Everybody say, uh-oh. <laughs> Let me just ask you, uh, just a little survey. How many of you ever had a little bit of family drama in your life? Okay, a little family drama. Yep. Some of you are not raising your hands. You're lying. And God is going to kill you because you're in church. I'm just kidding. Um, but how, I was telling, actually, uh, one of our volunteers this morning, I was like, oh, this is what I'm going to be talking about. And uh, a little bit of family drama. And she goes, when do we not have family drama? And I was like, that's so true. Like, that is so true. Like, family drama is, is a real thing. And so uh, the title of this message is Family Matters. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down on top of your phone. If you're writing notes, write this down. Family Matters. Now, as soon as I say that, like some of you, maybe you're thinking about the classic 80s sitcom, Families Ma Family Matters, starring the Winslow family, okay? One, uh, one of my favorite shows of all time and of course, if you think about Family Matters, you've got to be thinking about the lead character, Urkel, 
right? Urkel, okay? So some of you, you may not know Urkel. He was like, he was like the classic nerd character, okay? In fact, we have a picture of him. Let's just throw him up on the screen. Look at that guy. Isn't he amazing? He had the suspenders, had the big, you know, bug glasses, which turns out are cool now, weirdly. And, and then, then he had like the pants pulled up and rolled up, which that's also kind of cool now. Maybe Urkel was just ahead of his time and we didn't realize it. Um, anyways, but Nurkel, he played this character where uh, he was always kind of getting into trouble and he was messing things up and, and he was making things difficult and, and he kind of brought drama wherever he went. And when something would happen and people would be like, Urkel, he had a phrase that he would say back to everybody else and it kind of became classic with Family Matters. He would say, does anybody know? Yes. Yes, he would do it. Did I do that? Like he talked nasally all of the time, but then he would get extra nasally when he'd be like, did I do that? And it was just like, I really, oh, it was just so, like, it was so just cute and enjoyable. And, and if, if only, like, our family drama could be like that, right? Solved in 30 minutes with whoever's offended us saying, did I do that? Like, if only it could be like that. But how many know life isn't like that? How many know the situations you face, the, 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 the drama that you experience, the difficulty that you go through isn't that simple? It's complicated. Sometimes it's more than 30 minutes. It's more than 30 days. So 30 weeks, 30 months, longer. Sometimes you're like, man, this is not getting solved. And you can go through a difficult situation, and the person isn't saying, did I do that? It's, it's actually getting worse. And so what's beautiful about the Bible is that you can have something like last week. We're talking about spiritual opposition. We get so deep, and, and we're like talking about spiritual realities and how they flesh themselves out as opposition. Today, we're going to get really, really practical. And how do you deal with drama, not from the outside, but from the inside? How do you deal with drama, not from people that you don't know, but people that you do know, people that you're close to? And that's that's what we're going to be looking at in in Nehemiah chapter 5. All right, so if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to open up your phone, and there's a Bible app that you can download from the App Store. I, want, I would encourage you to follow along because I'm, we're going to literally read the entire chapter of Nehemiah. Now, we don't normally do that. We don't always do that. Sometimes we skip around. But this chapter is just chock full of help on how to deal with relational situations. And I believe that God, throughout the Old Testament, in the New Testament, he gives us these little gems he gives us gems that we can, we can pull principles from to live lives that are full, that are free, that are full of life. And so if you're ready to grow today, as we jump into Nehemiah chapter 5, say, I am. All right, let's do it. Nehemiah chapter 5, NIV version. All right. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Now what's happening, again, everybody's building the wall right now. Everybody's building the wall. They're, they're helping out. Everybody's chipping in. And, and he's got a team that's working. But some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. And in order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. So there was a famine that was happening. And so the things were getting tight. Finances were getting tight. How many of you know when the finances get tight, everything gets tight? Things just, everything's tense. 
when the finances are tight. He says, others were saying we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying we had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. And although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children is, are as good as theirs, Yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless. How many of you know it never feels good to feel powerless? And things get desperate when you feel like you can't change a situation. So they're coming to Nehemiah and they're saying, we're powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Now here's what's happening. This is messed up. So people, the people working on the wall uh, they, they, the, the famine had come, things were getting tight, and they had to borrow money just to buy food. Just to, just to buy food, they had to borrow money. And so they had to borrow money and to, pay the, to pay for food and to pay for the king's tax, and they didn't have enough money, so they had to get more money, and ultimately they had to sell their kids into slavery. And that was actually a, a somewhat common practice in that day, and it wasn't like completely, it wasn't forever, but it's like, hey, for a couple of months, I'm gonna, you know, we'll sell this kid into slavery, and then we're gonna, we're gonna buy them back. Hopefully, that was the idea. But the interest that they were being charged by their fellow Jews was so high that they weren't able to pay the interest, and so they weren't able to get their kids back. This is a tragic situation. Like, this is not okay, and this is not right. And so they come to Nehemiah, and they're like, hey, we're trying to build this wall for you. We're trying to do this, but we're having to sell our kids into slavery. Can you do something about that? And what made all of it worse was it, it was their fellow Jews who were doing this to them. Their fellow Jews were raising interest. So you had these nobles and these officials who had resource, and they were charging extra interest than they needed to. And Nehemiah's like, y'all, this is not okay. So this is what happens, verse 6. This is his response. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. He's very angry. The word anger there, or angry there, means he burned with anger. It's like a hot coals. He's like red hot, ticked off. He's ready to clean house. He's ready to bust some heads. He's like, oh, no, you didn't. That's what he's saying right now. He's like, I'm going to mess you up. But first, watch what he does. This is so, this is amazing. He's red hot. He's ready. Have you ever been red hot, ready to bust some heads? Just raise your hand if you've ever been red hot. This week, have you ever been red hot? <laughs> this morning, have you been red hot? Like, like it can happen fast, can it? They can come on you and like, like you're just like, okay. Watch what he does though. I pondered them in my mind. I pondered them in my mind. The, the English standard version says he took counsel with himself. Before he does anything, he's going to think about this. He's going to step back and he's going to evaluate the entire situation. And this is really important because there is a lot at stake here. There's a lot at stake. He's got to have the people working on the wall, but he's also have to have the nobles and the officials pay for it. So he's got to keep everybody at peace. So he's pondering this, but he also can't tolerate it. So he has to speak to it. Verse 7, I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, 
as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. We've already been trying to buy everybody back. We've already been doing this. And now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. He's like, listen, y'all, this can't happen. He's having an old-fashioned come to Jesus way before everybody, anybody ever came to Jesus. And what was their response? They kept quiet because they can find nothing to say. How many know that's a good feeling when you're addressing something? You're like, okay, well, I got a few other things. Look, he says, so I continued. <laughs> what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? Here's what's amazing. Don't miss this. He's bringing this whole thing back to God. He's bringing it back to God. He's not primarily making it about the people. He's pr not primarily making it about himself or his feelings. He's making it about God. We'll come back to that in a moment. Listen, everything in life is about God. Everything in this life is about God. It's about experiencing God. It's about understanding God. It's about worshiping God. It's about, it's about being uh, a conduit of God's goodness and grace. Everything in this life is about God. And Nehemiah is bringing it back to God. And then he leads by example. Oh, and he talks also about a testimony. He's like, hey, listen, if you guys act like this and the world is seeing this, then we lose our testimony, and that's not good. And then he leads by example, verse 10. I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. He's like, I get it. I've been loaning money too, but look at this. We've got people who are being sold into slavery. Meanwhile, y'all are counting your Range Rovers. Something isn't right about this. And then he challenges them to make it right. This is a big count. He's putting himself out there. Give back to them immediately. Everybody say immediately. <laughs> Their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you are charging them. Give everything back. 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. This is a moment of truth. He's getting vulnerable. He's putting himself out there. He's really going for it. He's swinging for the fence. It's a huge risk. What do they say? We will give it back. And we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. I can, I can only imagine Nehemiah, he went into that situation. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to be strong. You guys need to give it back. And then they give it back. He's like, that actually worked. <laughs> and then he does a praise break. Da, na, na, da, na, na, da, na, na. But he's not done. That was worth coming to church for right there. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they promised. He's like, listen, I'm not even just letting you get off with just saying that you're going to do it. I'm going to make you take an oath. And I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. And sometimes when you're reading the Bible and you hit a passage like that, you're like, what is he talking about? Okay, in that day, people would keep their most valuable possessions close to them. So they actually like on their, on their arms or in their, in their robes, they would keep it close because people could come to their place and they could just come in and take it. And so they'd keep it close. And so he's like, when you would shake it out, everything you had would fall out. And he's like, I'm, this is what we're gonna commit to. If none of us do this, you're gonna lose everything. That's what, I'm, that's what we're committing to. So he's really going for this. And at this, the whole assembly said Amen. Come on, church. Can we say a good amen? Come on. It's biblical. 
and they praised the Lord, and they did as they had promised. That's amazing. I don't know if it was 30 minutes. I don't know if it was 30 days, but Nehemiah was able to navigate this and solve some family drama. Not only that, but the last part of this chapter He goes on to say, I want you to know, the reader, now he's been talking to them, now he's letting the reader know how committed he has been to this. Watch this. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be governor in the land of Judah until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. The earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people, but out of reverence for who? God. He's like, I didn't act like that. I didn't do it. There were some, there were some opportunities, there were some luxuries that I did not take out of my reverence for God. He's focused on the right things. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. I was committed to the kingdom. All my men were assembled there for work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. He's literally throwing some parties, bringing people together, people on other sides of this. He's like, all right, Jews, come on over here. Nobles and officials, come on over here. I'm gonna throw a party and I'm gonna pay for it. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me, and every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because these demands were heavy on the people. And then he ends with a prayer. Remember me with favor, my God, for I've done all of this. Or I've done, remember for all I've done for these people. He handles conflict. There is a prescription for how to deal with drama in your life from those who are close to you, family, friends, coworkers, neighbors. There is a prescription on how to deal with this. Let me give you four thoughts that you can pull out of this passage from chapter 15, I'm sorry, chapter five. Number one, put yourself in their shoes. Number two, address the situation. Number three, sacrifice personally. And number four, stay focused on the end game. Put yourself in their shoes, address the situation, sacrifice personally, and stay focused on the end game. Okay, we're going to look at each of, each of these. We're going to break these down. Before we do, I just want everybody, both locations, come on, everybody do this. We're going to do our best Urkel impersonation, all right? To the person next to you, you're just going to ask them, you're going to ask them, did I do that? Come on, everybody, just participate. You'll be, you'll be glad you did. Come on, just ask them, did I do that? Just in case maybe you did something. You guys can work through. You'll be like, yeah, you did. Okay, first of all, if you want to resolve some conflict, you have to put yourself in their shoes. You have to put, the, you put yourself in their shoes. I mean, Nehemiah, before he does anything, verse 7 says, he pondered them in my mind. He's going to think about this. He's tempted to react, but instead of react, he's going to respond. How many of you know this? The devil wants to tempt you to react. Do you know this? That's, he thrives. Where that blood's starting to boil, all of a sudden like, okay, and here, and I've got some things, and he wants you to react. God doesn't want you to react, he wants you to respond. There's a difference. 
When we ponder, we can responder. Oh, I didn't even think about that till this moment. Straight, I'm just. The devil wants to bait you. He really does. But you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta ponder it a little bit. You gotta ponder it. You gotta give it some thought. This is what James, the brother of Jesus, says in James chapter one. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. He says quick to listen and slow to speak. What do we normally do? We're quick to speak and slow to listen. Like, oh, I'm, gonna, you know, I'm not even listening to what you, what you have to say because I'm so focused on what I'm going to say back to you. And James is like, could you know how many relational situations would be solved if we just be quick to listen and slow to speak? It would change. It would change. This is what Nehemiah is doing. He's cooling off a little bit. He's burning. He's red hot. He's ready to bust some heads. But before he does anything, he's stepping back. This is a good little lesson for us. Before you go off, take a step back. Before you go off, before you let them know, take a step back. Ponder it a little bit. Think. What am I going to do? How is this going to come across? Where, where are they coming from? And you know what doesn't say that he prayed in this particular passage? But how many of you know all throughout this, this book, he's praying constantly. He's, he's one of the champions of the Old Testament of prayer. I bet you I'm going to go out on a limb and say that as he was pondering this, he was praying about it. I'm just going to bet that he was. And how many of you know that's a good combination? When, when, you, when you've got a situation, that's what he does at the beginning, right? He's like, here's the walls. Here's what needs to happen. Before I go to the king, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ponder. I'm going to ponder. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ponder. I'm going to think about this. I'm going to strategize this, and I'm going to bring God into this. This is a theme through the book of Nehemiah. He's constantly involving God. He's constantly bringing things to God. He's praying and pondering. He's pondering. He's praying. When you have a situation that's difficult, when you pray, you give God a chance to move in the situation. You give, a, you give the Holy Spirit a chance. You're like, God, this is difficult. I can't do this. I don't know what's happening here. So I'm just going to bring you into this. God, please speak to that person. Speak to me. I'm going to ask that you work in this situation. So he's praying, he's pondering, but then he's also, as he's doing that, I believe what's happening is, if he hasn't already, he's coming to a place of empathy for these people. He's empathizing with the people. Now, here's what's interesting. Nehemiah cannot relate to these people. The only thing that he has in common is that he is Jewish. But he cannot relate to these people. He was born in exile, He's only known a, a, a life and a trajectory that's been comfortable. He's had luxuries. He's got a great education. He's got a great job. He's eating at the king's table all the time, lives in a palace. The dude is straight up fresh, princing it 24-7. Okay? He's got a good life. And here are people who don't have anything. And they don't have a good life. And Nehemiah cannot relate, but he can empathize. Empathy is choosing to see something from someone else's perspective. 
It's like, I don't see where you're coming from, but I, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to imagine. See, this is what Nehemiah is doing. He can't relate, but he can imagine. He's putting himself in their shoes. He, he's thinking about what life would have been like had he not been born in exile and had a path to the palace. He's like, I, that could have been me over there. That could have been me. I did nothing to choose the opportunity and the place that I have. That could have been me, but I can empathize with someone who does, didn't have the path that I have. I can imagine a little bit. And he understands something. What I have has been given to me by God to be a blessing. He understands that we are blessed to be a blessing. That's a great place for an amen. I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm going to rewind. He understands that we are blessed to be a blessing. Come on, somebody. That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. God's given us what we have to bring him glory and to help others experience who he is and help others move a little bit further in their understanding of who he is. We're blessed to be a blessing. So he's empathizing, he's imagining, he's stepping back, he's putting himself in their shoes. This is so critical when it comes to addressing family drama. You might not understand where someone's coming from. You know, you might be like, wow, that is a very interesting perspective. <laughs> Never quite understood that. Okay. Hmm. Let me think about where you're coming from. Let me, let me put your glasses on. Let me put myself in your shoes. And you don't want to be passive aggressive as you're doing. It's like, oh, okay, cool. It's clear that you're thinking as a toddler. So let me think <laughs> like a toddler probably won't work. <laughs> probably not most effective conflict resolution. Put yourself in their shoes. Think about what they've experienced. Think about where they're coming from, their personality, their gift sets, and then, and then, and then meet them at that place, okay? Number two, address the situation. Everybody say, you've got to address it. You've got to address it. Got to address it. This is a big deal. What's happening here is working against the unity of this whole rebuild effort, right? He can't let this go. He can't let this go. It's not going to get better. This is going to get worse. It's interesting how many times we refuse to address situations that need addressing in our lives. It's like, it's like when the check engine light goes on on your car. You know what I'm saying? It's like the worst feeling. Like, ah, and you're hoping maybe it's just like a, like a wiring malfunction. You're like hitting the dash, trying to turn it off, <laughs> hitting bumps, being like, yeah, no, it's still on. How many of you know, you're just hoping, that you're just like, you're sitting there, you're like, oh, I just hope it gets better. I hope it turns off. How many of you know it's not going to get better? <laughs> how, many, how many know the car isn't going to fix itself? It's going to get worse. Relational situations usually don't just resolve themselves. They get worse. And, 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 and as with a car, if you don't fix it, it's going to keep you from getting to where you want to go. In relationships, if you don't address it, it's going to keep you from getting where you want to go and maybe keep that person from getting where God wants them to go. So you got to lean in. Everybody say lean in. 
It's, it's awkward. It's hard. It requires effort. It requires work. You got to lean in. You got to address that situation. This is true no matter who you are, a leader, a mom, a dad, a son, a daughter, employer, co-worker, a friend. A true friend is going to say something. That's what, that's what happens in Proverbs 27. It says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Like a true friend is going to say something to you. A true friend is going to be like, hey. You, you, need, you need to address that. A true friend's going to be, you got, you got some stuff, you got some mustard on your face. Have you, have you ever eaten a salad that's got those little sprout things in them? And they get right in your teeth? And then like, you, you eat it for lunch, and then you're walking throughout the, you know, you're having meetings and stuff like that, and you're smiling at people, and it's just sitting there. Sitting there the whole time. And, and all of those enemies that are in those meetings ain't saying nothing to you. They're saying, mm. and then you find out later when someone comes and is like, and you're, that was like three hours ago. <laughs> Enemies are going to multiply kisses. They're going to be like, oh, you're so great. Mm, you got nothing in your teeth. That's mm, multiplying kisses. Oh, you're so amazing. Everything you do is great. But a true friend is going to say, listen, you got stuff, and this is hurting you. This is hurting us. This is hurting others. We've got to speak to this. Paul will talk about in Ephesians how this is actually how God builds us up to maturity. Ephesians chapter 4. He said, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow. Who wants to grow? I think you do because that's why you're here. You want to grow. How do we grow? Speaking the truth and love to each other. And in, in that way, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body. God wants to mature you. God wants to grow you. You know what? Maturity doesn't come by reading more books. Just saying. Knowledge does. How many of you can be really smart and relationally really dumb? You can read a lot of books and be a fool. How do you mature? That's iron sharpening iron stuff. That's why life groups are important. That's why getting in community is important. You gotta speak the truth in love. And we will become the, the, the mature body that Christ wants us to be. Now, as we're talking about like addressing things, it's important that we say not everything is worth addressing. Because some of you are really good at addressing things, like too good. <laughs> Like, I, he said be a friend, so I'm going to be a friend. You got problems, you got problems, you got problems, you got problems. Everybody's got problems. I'm going to fix everybody today. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the way. Uh, Proverbs 19 says, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. It's, it's, it's actually, sometimes it's like, you need to Elsa that thing. Come on, somebody, you need to let it go. It's Christmas season. It's going to happen, all right? Let's get ready. You need, to, you need to let it go. Well, some of you are like, well, how do I know? How do I know if I should address it or if I should let it go? That's why you have to pray. You've got to be in, you've got to be in communication with, with God on it. You say, Holy Spirit, lead me in this. I, what should I do here? 
What should I do here? Should I address this or should I let it go? And the way you'll know is if you bring it to God, you bring God into it, you'll have a peace if you can let it go. And if you don't have a peace, you need to address it. You need to address it. And so that's just one way. There's no science, but that's one way, all right? So you need to address it. Third, you need to sacrifice personally. Everybody say, it starts with me. Starts with me. Nehemiah says, let us stop charging interest. Now, we don't know if he was charging interest or not, but he, what he does is he puts himself into that category and he's saying, listen, I'm willing to sacrifice right along with you guys. As a leader, I'm not asking you, you to do anything that I'm not doing. He doesn't take the food allotted for the governor. He throws big parties to get everybody on the same page. He's sacrificing personally. If you want to make relational traction, you've got to be willing to do your part. You're going to have to invest. You're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to be transparent. You're going to have to be honest. You're going to have to put your heart out there. You have to say, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make this thing better. How many of you know that's risky? It's risky to put yourself out there. It's risky to say, hey, that hurt me. It's risky to say, hey, this is not okay. It's risky to do it. But if you don't put yourself out there and if you're not willing to do your part and meet them in the middle, then, then you're not really fulfilling the part of relationship. Now, disclaimer, I always have to say this. If you're in an abusive relationship where, where you've put yourself out there, you've continued to sacrifice, and they just keep taking advantage and taking advantage and taking advantage, that's not what this is talking about, okay? And so every time we have a, you know, content like this, we have to say this. And if you're not sure, is this abusive, is it not, you need to talk to somebody, you can talk to somebody. And if it's a dangerous situation, you need to get out, step back, okay? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about words. We're talking about actions. We're talking about feelings here. And this is something where you lean in and you're like, okay, we're going to address this. We're going to address this. And I'm going to personally be involved. So, so he puts himself in their shoes. He addresses the situation. He sacrifices personally, and then fourth, he stays focused on the end game. He stays focused on the end game. Nehemiah, through all of this conflict, he keeps bringing the issue back to God. Throughout the whole book, he's bringing this thing, what does God think? What is God about? Does God care for Jerusalem? Does God care for this situation? Does God care for these people? Look, verse 15, their assistance also lorded over the people, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Verse 19, remember me with favor, my God. This whole chapter, Nehemiah's whole life, although he's not perfect, he's, he's continually trying to bring this thing back to what does God think and what does God say? That is the key to life. It, that, that's the filter that you want to put your, your issue through. What does God think about this? God, help me to have your heart. Help me to have your heart for that person. Help me to have your heart for our church. Help me to have your heart for our city, for our country. I want your kingdom, not my kingdom. I want your way, not my way. 
God, what do you think about this? Nehemiah is doing the right thing because it's what God wants. It's what God wants. There's such a satisfaction that comes when we live this way. You say, I'm not living for me. I'm not living for my agenda or anybody else's agenda for that matter. I'm living for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm giving my all for that. That's what Paul the Apostle does. And this is what he talks about in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And because of that, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So I'm, I'm living all, I'm laying it all on the field for God. Let me just tell you, this life, you know this. Just reminding, this life is so short. And we have an opportunity to live it for what really matters. And there's a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter. But God and his kingdom, it's what matters. And if you believe any of this, if you believe any of this, then you have to believe all of that. It's the only way to live this thing. It's where life is. It's where freedom is. It's where hope is. It's where grace is. And it's where you're going to find reconciliation with that person. How do you do it? You put yourself in their shoes. You address the situation. You sacrifice personally. And you always keep it about the end game. Now, here's what's amazing about this. Nehemiah, he's a good dude. He's a good dude. Gives us a great example of this. He lays out a good path, but, but Nehemiah is far from perfect, like very far from perfect. In fact, as we go through the book, we're going to see like, whew, man, Nehemiah, that's a little bit, I can't believe you did that. And I can't believe you put that into the, like, I can't believe you wrote that into your thing. Like, that's crazy. Maybe he was just like reminding us how imperfect he is. He's very imperfect, but you know what he does? Nehemiah as imperfect as he is, points us to the one who will do exactly those four things except perfectly and who will ultimately reconcile the greatest distance in relationship, and that's mankind and God, Jesus. Jesus. You know what Jesus does? He puts himself in our shoes. He addresses our situation he sacrifices personally, and he stays focused on the end game. It's a, it's a little key. It's a little foreshadowing in the book of Nehemiah of the one who will come, who will ultimately do all of this perfectly for us, the imperfect ones. He does it perfectly. He puts himself in our shoes. That was his whole mission. He shows up. He relates to us. He couldn't relate to us. And but he's like, I'm literally going to force myself to relate to you. And he becomes human flesh, fully God, fully man. But then he addresses our situation. He's, he lives perfectly. We could not live perfectly, but he lives perfectly for us on our behalf. Then he sacrifices personally. He gets engaged. He gets involved. He dies on a cross. He takes it all. He says, I'm going to meet you more than halfway. I'm going to meet you all the way. 
And then he keeps it centered on God, even when he went through some moments where he's like, whew, this is difficult. Oh, man, ah, do I want, Father, if it be possible, take this cup. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And as he's on the cross, as he, they're literally mocking him and gambling over his stuff, he's like, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's always keeping this about eternity. Life is about eternity. You get, a, you get a little bit of life right now. You get a little bit of hope right now, a little bit of grace right now. But on the other side of eternity, you get it all. If you're in relationship with him. And here's what's beautiful. This is where the, all this ties in. Not only does God give us that, but Paul says this. Because we have been given reconciliation with God, now he gives us a ministry of reconciliation. So because we are right with God, God can help us be right with each other. And that is what Nehemiah talked about. That shines. That makes the world say, that makes the Gentiles say, who are on the outside say, that's weird. You all love each other? You all serve each other? You're from different backgrounds? Do you see this is what's so beautiful about the church? All different type of socioeconomic realities in this room today all coming together under one banner. All different opinions and viewpoints and perspectives and histories, all coming together under one banner saying, there is a name that is greater. And that is the greatest thing to us. Do you see this is what's so beautiful about the church? And it shines, it shines. That's what we're praying happens, amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. God, thank you for this powerful, powerful message that, you, that you've given us in the book of Nehemiah, this little gem of understanding how to be right relationally with our brothers and sisters and how to bring that ministry of reconciliation to people all around us. Lord, we just thank you so much for it, God. We just ask that you would help this to be so real in our hearts. God, we pray that you would, that you would help us to do this, to live this out and not get in the way and not, and not keep you from doing what you want to do in our hearts and our lives. Lord, we pray that you would help us do this so that we can be a light, so that we can help people find and follow Jesus, that, that people can experience the goodness and the grace of God. Two questions I want to ask. I want to pray for anybody in this room who, who would respond to these questions with head bows and heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today and you're saying, you know what? This is speaking to me. I've got a relational situation going on, and it's just it's just hard and it's heavy, and I just need God's help with it. I just need God's help with it. And this is speaking right to me. Would you slip your hand all across this place, South Campus online? Come on, just say, I need God's help. I want to pray for you. Yeah, all over this place, hands going up everywhere. Let me pray. Father, I pray for those who are reaching out to you. They're, they're reaching out to you. Father, I pray you'd meet them right where they are. Give them hope and life and help. I pray for wisdom. I pray that the Holy Spirit, you would help them as they navigate some situations. We pray for victory. We pray for reconciliation. We pray for grace. Let your hand be upon their lives in Jesus' name. You can put your hands down. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. One other question I want to ask. This is the most important question. You're here today. 
That's what I'm talking about, Jesus, and how he's made us right. You're like, I don't know if he's made me right. You, you wouldn't know if you're right with God. If you don't know that you're right with God, you can know. And it's as simple as saying yes to God and no to yourself. It's, it's saying, I'm not going to live my way. I'm going to live God's way. God's giving you the opportunity, not only of a lifetime, but of an eternity. But you have to say yes to him. And if you're here today and you're saying, man, I need to say yes to God. God's here. He's calling you. He's drawing you. He wants you to know him. But you got to turn from your sin. you got to turn to him. He's paid the way for you. With his death on the cross, he's made up what you could not do. He's done it. But you got to say yes. And if you, that's you today and you say, man, it's speaking right to me. I want to say yes to God. For the first time, or maybe for the first time in a long time, you're saying, I need Jesus. Would you slip up your hand and just make, a, just make God contact? Let me pray for you. All across this place, hands going up. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Anybody else just want to pray for you? Yeah, it's awesome. Father, I pray for every person who's reaching out to you. God, I pray that you would restore, renew. God, I pray for, I pray for new life. Let it happen, God, we pray. Father, we pray for, for grace. We pray for hope. We pray for life and truth in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We stand with me, church, both locations. Let's just take a moment. I want us to respond to God. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward. If you need prayer, if you raise your hand to the first question, the second question, you're like, man, I would love if someone could pray for me. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to see God give you a breakthrough. We'd love to see God restore you and renew you. So as we get ready to sing, you can come out and you can make your way down to the front. We're going to believe God to do something powerful. The rest of us, can we just take a moment before we rush into our days? Can we take a moment? Can we lift our hands all across this place and surrender to God and say, God, we want to do this thing your way. We want to do this thing according to your will. And we ask that you would help us. We ask that, Lord, you would strengthen us. Lord, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Let's worship.